0: This is episode number 175 with Brandon Webb of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a
0: thirsty human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: And I'm the CEO and host of the Founder Podcast, but also the CEO of Founder Magazine. Now, what's been happening in my world, had a big weekend to be honest. Um, Don't really go out and have drinks that much, but during um, the spring racing season here in Melbourne, so in Melbourne, horse racing is a big thing and um, we actually have like a public holiday and stuff uh, for the spring carnival for a special day called Melbourne Cup, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of one of the only times I really go out and uh, have a few drinks and uh, party with the with my friends and stuff. And, yeah, lost my voice a little bit. So if my voice sounds a bit croaky, I truly apologize. But you all have to have, you know, a party let loose every now and then, true to uh, Richard Branson's style. And, uh, actually, on that, guys, we've actually just printed our first version of the magazine. Now, I don't know, some of you guys may or may not be aware, but we used to, you know, run a digital magazine. That's how it all started. And, you know, we've been producing this magazine for the past few years, only in digital format on the iTunes and the App Store, and also in Google Play. And we get so many requests to print the magazine. So we've decided to print the Branson issue. So if you do want to check that out, you can go to founder.com forward slash free magazine. You can get a free printed copy. You just have to cover shipping and handling costs. And I think you'll love it. If you love this podcast, I know you're going to love the issue. It's really, really amazing. So much gold content around how to grow and scale your business. But let's not digress. Let's talk about today's guest. His name is Brandon Webb. And he's an incredible entrepreneur. He's built a massive media company. I learned a lot personally from this interview. And we talk about his passion for content and how he's using it to grow his business and media company, how he's getting into video in a very, very big way. But most of all, you know, his discipline and strategy on what it takes to build and grow a successful business now, because he did build previous businesses that had failed and then he used his lessons that he'd learnt uh, as somebody serving in the army to apply that to business. So it's really, really powerful. He also talks about focus a lot. That's something that I learnt actually when I was on my holiday where, you know what guys, it's one thing to do a new thing for your business or a new product line to generate more revenue but just because you can do that doesn't mean you always should. All right? And uh, I learned this from Brandon. So you're going to really love this episode. He's a very, very smart guy. You're in for an absolute treat. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening. And also, please do tell your friends. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job?
1: Well... I got my job by losing my first business. I I was a Navy SEAL for about 10 years and got out of the Navy in 2006, started a training company and bought a piece of land. That was my concept, but I, I brought on partners, raised uh, just close to $4 million for this project in Southern California and ended up losing everything. Um, you know, I just chose poorly um on the partner side, and, and I think you know when you're choosing partners, it it's a lot like getting into a long term relationship. I, I see a lot so many young entrepreneurs just jump in straight away to a partnership and realize that there's a lot of times no complementary skill sets, and the chemistry is off, and it's too late. You're already in bed with this person, and that was the case with my partners. It was not that they weren't extremely. Talented. It's just, you know, we had uh, misaligned skill sets and no chemistry, and it ultimately contributed to the failure of the business. Um, So, you know, I fast forward almost four years later, I had lost everything and was, you know, including, you know, my life savings. And I was sitting in San Diego at the time and asked my uh, I was having a conversation with my lawyer, and he said, "Look, you just got to walk away." It's like it, there's a difference between failing at something and quitting. It's like go build another business, and it just struck me, you know, because I up to that point had had a lot of success in my life and in the military as a SEAL, as passing you know, one of the toughest selection courses. And, um, but it was an extremely humbling experience for me. So I pulled up my socks and yeah, you know, I took a, d- a day job with a big defense company in San Diego, rebuilt my life savings, and I started getting into writing. That got me into blogging, and I saw an opportunity at the end of 2011 to launch a a special ops-focused website, which ended up becoming a news site called softrep.com. It just morphed into a foreign policy, domestic security, military news because the guys that i recruited from the special ops community including even a few sas guys from australia they wanted to write about current events and foreign policy because they were unhappy with the way that the press were reporting things and not getting it right Uh, so we launched we launched that website you know and five years later you know we have three other websites from military aviation to, to kind of a camping outdoor gear review site. Uh, we have a another site that covers special ops. Uh, we have a TV channel that's a, a subscription video on demand channel. So we do what the big cable networks do with their military documentaries and content on TV. We do that on our, our pay for view app. We have a few podcasts and, well, about a year and a half ago, we decided to just looking at the, what the market was was doing and kind of reading the world, which I think is an important skill as an entrepreneur to really pay attention to your, your environment. We saw the, the digital ad advertising industry really getting disrupted by Google and Facebook. And so we decided to to launch an e-commerce product called the Crate Club after a military ammo crate basically monetize our own audience who was who are already coming to us uh, asking us for gear and equipment advice so we launched a, a subscription box called the crate club about a year and a half ago and it's quickly grew into an eight-figure biz- business for us that's a very long answer and how i got my job
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome yeah this is really fascinating so um you've you, you're just about to launch a book um has that gone out yet total focus
1: it has it it came out uh, last week yeah in fact i just they linked in just excerpted a portion of i have a chapter in the book called embrace embrace the suck and it's all about a little bit about the story i just told you but really you know i think people get you know they get down and depressed and in a bad place when when stuff happens instead of you know, looking at adversity is okay. What can I learn from this, and how, how can I pivot and leverage it to my advantage? And once you develop that habit, it's just powerful.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So, can you tell us the main uh, premise of the book? Is it about
1: focus? Sure. <laughs> it is about focus. Um, so, you know, in in the book, I really relate my own personal journey and stories, as well as I feature some of my my friends who are who are entrepreneurs uh, like Kamal Ravikant who runs a a tech venture capital fund his brother started angelist uh, Naval. Um, but I, you know the the focus comes from my own experience of losing my first business you know taking a day job but but having all these other opportunities pop up and i was chasing i had invested in a Protective textiles business. And I sat on the board of that. Um, I was looking at doing a national shooting, like indoor shooting range franchise, like building one up. I was just chasing all these things all over the place. And I, I ended up meeting um, an entrepreneur named Todd Dackerman, who had a, a Porsche dismantler business in Los Angeles. He would, Todd would buy wrecked. Porsche's off the insurance companies for thousands of dollars and part them out for you know, hundreds of thousands. It's a brilliant business. And Todd, had, I had, uh, also was giving shooting lessons on the side, charging uh, a lot of money and Todd had hired me and we were at lunch one day and he said, you know what? I see a lot of myself in you and you're chasing all this stuff. And what I, what he passed on to me was his experience, you know, chasing, 9, 10 plus opportunities, you know oftentimes all of them end up in failure. and he said when he started focusing on his core business, that's when he really started to have success. and that really resonated with me and I see I see a lot of that in a lot of young entrepreneurs uh, today because i'm I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization. it's a global global organization in the New York chapter we have about three hundred really talented entrepreneurs. I see a lot of young ones constantly, they have a little bit of success, they build a business to, you know, maybe get it over the the seven figure mark, but they're never able to scale up beyond that because they're already chasing something else. And so that was really what anchored the book was focus and learning how to say no to opportunities. Uh, When I was talking to my my friend, James Altucher about his book, The Power of No, uh, you know, a few weeks back and. And just how how you have to say no to opportunities sometimes. And then in the book, I also talk about the importance of of really having you know short, mid, and long term goals. When you really have focused, concrete goals and a plan in place, it, it's easy to see and assess opportunities that come along that either are aligned with your plan or are misaligned. And if they're misaligned, it's just an easy decline. And I and I think that's you know for younger entrepreneurs and founders, it's 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 a big thing to focus. So you know that that's kind of a what anchored the book. There's a lot of other principles I I share on lessons I've learned, and you know as a founder uh, who lost the business and built up another business from scratch, and also. Uh, applying a lot of lessons I learned running the SEAL sniper program and implementing a lot of positive psychology and teaching met- methods and self-talk, you know, visualization, the self-talk I get into in the book is I think really important for people because we all walk around, you know, with our this internal conversation. And so teaching people how to talk better to themselves uh, is a, it's also uh, extremely important, but it's my first foray into this kind of genre. But I'm I'm pretty happy with the way the book turned out.
0: Hmm, that's awesome. Um, so look, I took a ton of notes here, man. Um, one thing that strikes me around focus is I agree. Um, I've been lucky enough to. I'm in EO too. I, I'm I'm in the Melbourne chapter. Um, and nice. yeah, I. I I agree with you around focus. I, uh, it is it is it is so exciting though to start another business and do all these other things. Um, so what I'm really curious around with with the focus piece is is how do you truly know when to gauge to say yes or no to things? Um, like you reeled off under your media company, quite a few different products underneath that umbrella you're not hundred percent focused. Like you so how, how did you gauge whether to do those or not? That's what I'm really curious. Cause it sounds like you got a lot going on with that, man.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's running a media business. It's, you know, we're, we're in the content business. So, you know, as we grow in revenue, you can add capacity, right? Like you have a guy like Elon Musk has much more, he can buy capacity. And so I think as you're growing, you know, your, your business, you can increase your capacity to act and try different things. But I've, you know, as far as like digital media goes, I've been offered, you know, especially in like the product range, like defense companies will come to me and say, "Oh, hey, we want you to, you know, be on the board of this company. We want you to help us make an innovate product. Well, that's not aligned with my, with what I'm doing in media. If it was a, you know, hey, let's um, start, for instance, I got approached by a big financial newsletter business. These guys make, you know, the parent company is a billion dollar business, but they sell a financial newsletter products and and they were trying to reach a veteran audience. And so I'm, that was more aligned with what I'm doing with the media space. And so I, I explored that. I didn't end up doing anything with, with the company, but because it was Aligned with content creation, and that's really what's core to our media business is creating content, whether it's video or, or you know, an article on a website. That was why I explored it. But so for me, it's, as long as I'm in that general lane of expertise, and that's my that my business is anchored in, then I'm then I'm okay with it. The e-commerce product too is directly related to the audience that we built on our platforms. You know, it's it's a high income earning male audience and it was just another way to provide value back to our audience and and really what i think today is a shift in modern media we had a big media publicly traded media company come and reach out to us a few months back and they were saying look you know we uh, we own a bunch of traditional newspapers in the US And some other traditional media, and we we don't know how to monetize our own audience. And you know, we have developed a you know, a team in-house that knows how to basically monetize our own audience through organic and paid acquisition on social media. And that paid acquisition on social, it's amazing how it's the right word I'm looking for, how scarce that skill set is. There's I've sat down with a billion dollar retail company in the U S like incredible business. They, they will for sure survive retail. Cause they have a like experience based retail outlet. Um, and they didn't know how to do paid acquisition. And I just was like shaking my head like, man, <laughs> if I could access your email list and your audience on Facebook, I could turn that into half a billion dollars and pretty quickly. But anyway, I, back to the, the focus thing is I think if you have a plan, and I, I think of it as a swim lane because I'm a swimmer. If opportunities come and they're aligned with your plan and they're in your swim lane, then you can you can explore those opportunities. But if until you have that plan, it's hard to make those assessments. But once you have it in place, clearly to me it shows up very quickly if this is something that is aligned with what I'm doing and is is going to be complementary, or is it going to be disruptive? And I think that's a key differentiator as well.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because the reason um, one of the reasons I asked this question is, is I see a lot of similarities with what you're doing uh, with with your digital media company, um, with, with what we're doing with Founder, and you know we're you know we're getting into e-commerce, and we're doing not just you know not just magazines, but all sorts of bits and pieces, and and we're just pretty much just listening to what our audience is telling us and, and just going into many different verticals, whether it is video, whether it is premium courses, whether it is physical products, all, all sorts of things. And sometimes I actually think to myself, hmm, wow, maybe I should be focusing. Uh, maybe I'm doing too much, but it's all within the same, like around the same niche, around the same market, around the same opportunity, serving the same same audience, but different products. So. Yeah, does it ever come to a point because you guys have so much going on that you feel like you are doing too much? Cause that's, that's different. It always feels like for me, ever since I've, I've started this business founder, it always feels like I'm doing too much.
1: I would say, you know, there's, there's been times where it has felt like it's been too much. And then we've, you know, and I have a good team. Like I've built an amazing team. My COO Ben Madden used to, he used to run Maxim magazine. So Ben and I, you know, there's been times where we're like, you know what, this is we we maybe bit off more than we could chew here, and we just shut it down right away. To give you an idea, and you'll you understand and appreciate this, we were in you know 2013, 90 90 percent of the business was supported by advertising revenue. Today, it's probably we'll finish the year at about maybe 12 15 percent.
0: That's awesome. And we are.
1: Yeah, and we're supported by the rest of our revenue comes from digital subscriptions and our e-commerce subscription. It's sustainable. It's recurring revenue. We control it. And so, you know, it's a really good place to be in. The e-commerce business was tough. It was, we had a lot of success, but we we fucked up so much in the beginning. Like, we had no customer service. People were... (laughs) They were screaming and pissed off because they weren't getting their their shipments. And there was no way to even find us to reach out to, to Logic Complaint, which is probably a good thing in the beginning. Uh, but we're so many things we we did wrong there. But we learned we learned from all our, our mistakes. And I'll tell you this: revenue solves a lot of fucking problems. And you know when you you know have. A product that's doing very well, whether it's uh, you know video courses or, you know, in our case, we're selling a lot of these subscription boxes. You know, we're able to hire help. You know, we had we got a really good logistics and customer service team members from Jack Threads when Jack Threads went under, and just built it out and and you know solved a lot of problems, fixed a lot of mistakes. But I think that. You know again, the revenue was enabled us to hire capacity, and I think that is a key liveness test, right? I see today, I see so many young founders that the solution is just raise more money, and I think that's total bullshit because sales solve a lot a lot of problems and enable you to to hire more capacity. I'm not saying raising money is a bad thing in some cases. I see too many young founders get just that's they go right to to that as a solution and go, wait a minute, you can sell yourself out of this problem rather than just go take more money and, and, you know, just to keep the lights on. And I, I think, you know, and I raise zero money for this business. I own the business myself. I have an employee compensation plan, but. I raised zero money. I started this business for ten thousand dollars out of my own pocket.
0: Yeah, wow, that's amazing, man. We have a very similar story. This is so cool. So, I appreciate the way you've built your company. Um, I think you're a bit further ahead than us. You definitely are. Like, can you tell us the size of your team? Like, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but your your PR person said that you guys are a nine figure business. Did you a media company?
1: We're 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 solid eight figures. We're, you know, our valuation is, puts us over, over the hundred million mark. And so it just, just now we're, I would say our core team is at about 40. Um, and we have some, those are full-time. We have some part-time, you know, content contributors uh, that are 1099, you know, working professionals that write for us, probably another, you know, 20, 30 of those But core team about 40. And, you know, we last year, we grew over 200%. Next year, we anticipate some kind of similar growth. And I'm to the point now where I know that to do what I want to do in the space, I need to uh, go out and, and sell a portion of the business to raise some money to, to kind of get us to the next level, because I want to take on the Discovery A&E, um, these networks that are doing a lot of great content but they're having they're struggling managing that transition from cable to digital and we know that world really well but to do that i need i need more capacity so i i was sitting down um, in new york a few months ago and i got to meet the founder of uh, kind bar and he listened to his story and it was it was resonating i i'm like okay i feel like i've got the business far enough along we could continue to grow Organically, but I want to speed up the growth, and I can only do that with some capital, and because I need I need the capacity. We can't take on
0: too much more ourselves. Mm, That's interesting. So you own one hundred percent of the business right now? Oh no, you don't, because you got the ESOP. You said, yeah, but
1: well, I have a phantom. I have a phantom ESOP plan. I, I like the phantom equity because it's it's everything. You know, it's it's just does everything a stock option plan does but it allows the founder to maintain complete control and that's (laughs) um you know and and that's probably a result of me losing my first business and Mm. and having a, a bunch of you know decisions that I want to make but couldn't because of partners and failed partnerships lawsuits whatever it just it enables me to kind of run the business how I see fit and you know, I, it hasn't happened to me yet, but even a, a stock option holder can can complicate a transaction, whether it's a money raise or or a liquidation through a sale of a business. They can come I in. In America, it's, it's especially bad because we're you know America's so litigious. They can say, "Well, I don't think I'm I don't think my option value is fair enough," uh, and they can kind of hold you hostage. You know, there's firms that specialize in it. <laughs> And just say, well, we want double unless or we're gonna make we're gonna create problems with the sales company. Um, so I'm really experienced on how to set up compensation plans that that avoid that potential conflict in the future.
0: Mm. So I'm really curious, man, with the scale that you want to grow, like how much would you be looking to raise? Sounds like in the tens of millions.
1: Yeah. We're looking at raising probably close to 40 million. Part of that 40 million will be, you know, I'm going to take some some cash off the table off the table, yep. Yeah, and it's something I talk about in my book Total Focus is knowing your number. I see so many people, even entrepreneurs that they don't realize how much they need to have, how much capital they need to have invested to produce kind of lifestyle that they want. I did this experiment when I was uh, going to a, a business school and they made us write down our ideal living arrangements and like what an ideal year look like living, not, not in, you know, a mega yacht lifestyle, but, you know, do you want to own two homes? You want to take so many vacations? Do you want to eat out so many times? You, you want to put, maybe a, a, you're putting you know kids through college and you kind of write down your expenses for the year and and you realize like money is finite just like time is finite there's so many hours in a day and so you you know there was over 100 people that did this exercise and we all got to about 400,000 and change us dollars a year and then you you can just back into the math and figure out you know just looking at it from a traditional you know say you want to put money in the stock market and and they expect a certain amount of return, like a passive income return, you need back into the math, and it's about $10 million. And that's shocking for many people. And, it, and then people will go, well, I don't need 400000 I only need half. Well, if you half it and then half it again, it's still $2.5 million. <laughs> it's a big number. I think knowing your number and getting clear around your relationship to money is super important. Because, you know, the the auto response is, well, money isn't everything, right? And that to me is total bullshit as well. It's like, well, if you have children and they get sick and you don't have money, you know, and this is America, right? I know you guys have a better healthcare in Australia. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> yeah, in most of States, our audience are from Australia, uh, from America though, man, so it's all good. Yeah.
1: So in the States, people that can't afford good healthcare die early or die young, and that's, that's a shame. And it's because they cannot afford the best healthcare, and so you know that's that's the facticity of life. And but but I think knowing your number, there's there's some real benefit to to really knowing what that is, and because then you can you can either grow a business and save to that, or you can realize, okay, it's time to sell, and then maybe go start something else. The reason I mention it is because that's. That's the reason I want to take some money off the table is because you know I have I have kids, young kids, and and I I just want to make sure they're they're secure Um, if something you know bad were to happen health wise or you know their college is paid for they don't have to go to university in America and be saddled with a bunch of debt right out of
0: college. Hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I I respect that. Um. I think the strategy. Think that strategy is solid. So, ton more questions, man. Um, talk to me about so so f rep t. How do you pronounce it? so f rep TV? Soft rep TV. Uh,
1: so- soft rep. Yeah, yeah. soft rep TV. Soft. Yeah, it's it's a pro word. Like soft stands for special operations forces.
0: Gotcha. So tell tell me about that. Like, how much content are you producing? Are you guys producing it yourself, or you're licensing the content? Um, you obviously charge a subscription like a Netflix. Can you tell me about that model? That really that that's really curious. I'm really curious around that. Sure. So,
1: you know, over the years, we had produced a ton of of video content ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of content? With our, uh, we would we would say interview the founder of uh, Seal Team Six, mm-hmm. um, and we would do around one of our most popular videos that we shoot is we take former special operations guys and we sit them around a table and throw a couple pints in front of them and cover, you know, Oh, it's amazing. And you cover 10, 12 different topics and chop those topics up, up into individual episodes and, you know, and you get a couple pints on these guys and they start opening up and talking about crazy, funny stories from maybe training or combat, and you, you get them to to show a lot of vulnerability as well. So that was a, you know, we, we call that show inside the team room. The team room is kind of the locker room of the, the military. And, and so we had created like over five years, all this video content and we'd put it on a, this site or that site and it would get linked to and syndicated So you know, free. outside of our network. Yeah, it was free. And then, we decided to, to basically launch our own SVOD subscription video on demand, just like a Netflix. And when you look at Netflix, Amazon, Showtime, HBO, you know, I subscribe to a few of those and it's really cause of one show that I like from a huge game of Thrones geek. And you know, I, I played Dungeons of the dragons as a kid, but then, you know, I was, that show just billions and game of thrones are like my two big shows right now. So Mm. I subscribe to HBO just for game of thrones. I could care less about the other content. Maybe I watch it. Maybe I don't. But But I subscribe. Yeah, I don't share. And I just subscribe for that show. And so I said, you know what, let's, we have a lot of content in the video space. Let's aggregate it all, put it behind a paywall. And then let's, what one show can we do that our audience will resonate with that will be that tentpole kind of show, like a game of Thrones, like game of Thrones is for HBO, like billions is for Showtime. Um, And so we launched a show called inside the team or not inside the team. It was called training cell and training cell follows former special ops guys around the country as if they were, training for overseas missions and so they they'll go to uh dirt fish which is a rally racing school in the u.s on the east coast then we go to a, a school in colorado to learn how to repel down skyscrapers blow the windows and gain access wow. it like, long so all this like incredible training and it's all reality based but you know it, we knew it was going to resonate with our audience so that we. Per- we hired an outside production company, but we have a, a director, a guy named Drew Wallace that used to work for Oakley, but came from the, the military community. And so he runs that whole program for us, and, and it lets us kind of build a base of subscribers. Now we're able to, because we've done it, we've done this show now for um, we launched it back in December, but we've already got next year paid for from an advertising standpoint. But we had to invest in it up front, out of pocket, and now, you know, it's paying off for us. Through the we're growing our our digital subscribers. People are the show is resonating with with a lot of people in the in the kind of tactical industry. You know that that want to advertise and be a part of next next season and and so now we're like okay this is this show is sustainable now what additional content can we do and so we're we're actually looking to uh, produce another show ourselves but also we're open to just like any network is taking concepts and ideas from other production companies that want to sell us that you know, They want to come to us with a show and say, hey, we can do this for you. It's going to cost you this much. So we are turning into our own network, but put all digital. And we have had some people license our content. Not, we haven't had no really big deals on licensing yet. We, we did an amazing film called uh, Big Mountain Heroes where I took four special ops guys that could ski and snowboard really well we took them to the uh, French and Swiss Alps last year and we shot this amazing footage ski, snowboard footage, but we also did these really in-depth interviews with the guys about how they use the outdoors and the mountains as, as therapy and this conversation in America about the, our veterans department and how they like to treat veterans as, as victims and they just throw a lot of pain, prescription pain pills. And so our thing was, let's show the veteran community a a better way, like how to, how to choose thrills before pills. And so we did this amazing documentary and an outside TV, saw our trailer, we did a small Kickstarter campaign as well. So we're talking to them about potentially having them as a distribution partner. But so just now, I think we're, we're getting people to start taking notice to what we're doing. Um, which is pretty, pretty exciting, but there's power. And as you know, it's like when you own really engaging content and monet- you can monetize it yourself, and especially in the, you look at the TV world, these, a lot of the cable companies never really had a relationship with their audience. And that's to me, the power of digital is being able to to have a relationship with your audience, give them value and monetize your own audience. As opposed to just, you know, relying on pure ad ad revenue, and kind of not being in charge of your own destiny, where the revenue lies.
0: Mm. Talk to me about fostering that that relationship because with full transparency with what we're doing at Founder, we could, I believe, we could do a much better job with it.
1: You know, I'm big on surveys, and I say that and I'm rolling my own eyes because I hate surveys myself, <laughs> but. Only because I think when I get surveyed, there's no value exchange. So we really try and incentivize our audience to to survey, but give them something in exchange. Either it's maybe a free login, like free either free login, free product, or discounts. Because you know know, we value their time the same I value my own. But but we we survey. I think it's important to listen to your audience, but I think there has to be some balance there. And I'm, you know, Steve Jobs is a a huge person I look up to and and I really like when he relates the conversation of product. He's like, look, we're not going to survey the audience and come up with a better iPhone. I mean, well, maybe a better iPhone, but the iPhone wouldn't have been invented by a survey. And so there's a balance there between creativity and invention. And once you come out with a new product, yeah, then survey figure out how to make it better and improve it. But I think there has to be some, from a founder perspective, you've got to be, you've got to take some risks and really think, okay, what can I do that, that is new and exciting and, and not, it's not a me, me too product. And, and that's where the passion comes in. I talk about passion in my book and my friend Kamal, he invests in startups.
0: And mm, We interviewed Kamal in the early days.
1: Yeah, so Kamal is one of my best friends, and he said he will walk into a room, and if a founder starts out right away telling him how they're going to exit the business, he walks out of the room because there's, you know, they're focused just on making a return. He wants to see somebody just, you know, extremely passionate and engaged and wanting to change the world with their ideas. And in Kamal, it's funny, he's like. I've met one of his guys, Simone, in the city. Kamal's like, he's the only investment I made where the guy was so smart and so passionate. I didn't know what the hell he was going to do, but I just knew it was going to be special. So He's like, I wrote him a check on the spot. And he didn't even have a, a, like he had a concept, but he didn't even have it anchored to a business plan. And Kamal's like, let me write you a check right now. So um, I think that's, you know, so passion is important to, any type of initiatives, we're we're launching a new box, a subscription box for anti-aging, because it's something I'm passionate about. And we have our fulfillment mechanism set up and we know how to we know how to create a sales funnel of you know deep paid acquisition on social. And when we look we did a market study and there was a couple of products that we thought we could enter into on the the e commerce side. I picked I picked the one that I was passionate about because I knew that I would put hundred and fifty percent into it as opposed to well like we could do a let's say a fishing box, you know, with fishing tackle every month. But eh, you yeah, know, I'm not really passionate about that one. But we decided to launch a box called continuum, which comes I don't mind teasing it out because I know it's gonna but we're going to start advertising against it in September. It's a continuum. It's life optimized, so it's it's a it's content around anti aging, but it's in curation, right? Like there's so many different products out there. You, people don't know what to use. You know whether it's a a nutraceutical or you know skincare cream. You know where is it made? How has it been tested? What's the science behind it? I'm excited to to launch that, but I chose that as a passion project Mm. and I think it's going to do really well for us.
0: Yeah, no. And it sounds like um, you're very, very good at at putting your ear to the floor and listening to what your audience are asking for and also looking for trends. I think it's very, very smart, the different verticals that you're moving into. Um, Like the way that you build your media company is is very, very similar to what we're doing. I, I believe that, the traditional ad uh, model or selling banners is is broken. You need to have a, a multifaceted platform which goes through physical, digital products, private, you know, private paywall based content, and then you can do the ad stuff as well. Then you have to have a strong, you know, a strong side of recurring revenue. Uh, to, to minimize risk. So no, I think it's really, really smart. And like even using tools like Kickstarter, like we used, we used Kickstarter as well to, to crowdfund a book. So I think that's very, very smart because that's a great way to involve your community. And I I love what you're doing with the video stuff. We haven't done much with video yet, but I'm really, really excited to get into that too. Um, My, my question around video is, is I have concerns around cost, man. I think it could get really expensive really fast. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you want to yeah. do at the level of what you're doing.
1: I'll send you, um, I'll send you a link to our, to that documentary we did, mm. and
0: we put in we, the show notes.
1: Yeah, we produced that entire project. Now, granted, we we did a Kickstarter campaign against it, and, but we put it out, out of pocket upfront cost we paid for it all that documentary is probably gonna come in between twenty five and thirty minutes like raw raw content like edited polished content and we produce that entire documentary travel ski passes hiring a helicopter all the you know pre and post production will be in it for probably twenty five thousand dollars wow and and so you can produce really, you know, good content for not so much money. And, and the other lesson I learned, and we this is a polished film, but I also learned that when we're do we do a lot of video advertising on, on Facebook and we spend six figures a month on Facebook ads. We found that a polished video, you know, that takes us maybe two weeks to shoot and do the post-production and get it out there. Like what was performing better was we would have one of our, one of our gear curators in his garage shoot a iPhone video on landscape mode, you know, a shaky iPhone video of him talking about the latest product and how excited he is about it. And that video would just crush you know, this polished, you know, video concept that we spent, you know, all this time like scripting. And <laughs> so because it's engaging content, it doesn't have to be polished to to provide value, I guess is my, my point. And so sometimes we'll, we'll sacrifice some of the kind of polished content. Cause we just, we're like, look, we have an opportunity maybe with, to to grab some really good content and who cares if it's it's high quality, high quality, let's just get it and use it for something Uh, because it's, we have an opportunity now. It would be like this, right? You're sitting on a plane next to Richard Branson and Mm. you're like, Hey, can I shoot this conversation with us that we're having right now? And you put that video that's shot on your phone up on YouTube. It's going to get a ton of views because it's, you know, so when those opportunities come up, you know, and, and it's more about the content, mm. you know, the and real. quality of content doesn't mean quality production. It's just real and engaging and vulnerable. So, but I we sh- I pride myself on shooting, you know, for thousands of dollars, what big cable networks spend hundreds or millions of dollars producing, because it can be done for less The equipment, the technology, the talent is out there to kind of build a small in-house team which we have and produce content very quickly for not that much money like we those episodes of training cell we have a budget of $25,000 an episode i mean we sent a team to hawaii to do jungle warfare and we shot nice. the whole episode for 25 grand yeah wow if you're on a traditional you know shoot budget those that's you know, probably half a million dollars at least is what a a company is going to spend on that because, you know, they've got catering and they're flying, you know, they're not paying attention to cutting costs. Like, because we spend ads on Facebook, we use it against a credit card and get points. And so we use the points for company travel. And so, and I built a culture around, you know, always paying attention to savings you know how how you can save the company money because it makes the company healthier and we're able to do fun things like have a big annual holiday party, have a strategy meeting where I can hire in speakers. And if you save a hundred dollars, you know a thousand dollars here, a hundred dollars there, and you add it up, you know, hundreds of times throughout the year, it's a massive savings. And so building that culture of doing things for less, paying attention to to not Spending in excess which i see so many big companies do right they're just throwing money away
0: mm. yeah, <laughs> it's crazy eh? yeah
1: yeah and so i yeah i i'm really proud of what the guys on our our internal media production team have been able to do and to really keep the cost down because when you you it can be done for a lot less i guess is my point
0: mm. yeah no i love that man um Few last questions before we work towards wrapping up. Just around the content piece, um, sounds like you're much like me in the sense that uh, you can just get lost in in just the art and the craft of the content, and and you want to do something that's so cool. How do you how do you put stop stop gaps in place to make sure that you actually get a return or or, or don't waste money? Because I I find personally that we can do some crazy stuff with content and just. Like, yeah, it, it it's awesome for the craft, but it's not going to do much that, that can be kind of measured. I'm really curious because it sounds like you are, like you are recently frugal around stuff. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I allow myself one passion project a year. And that, that documentary called Big Mountain Heroes that I explained earlier, that was definitely a passion project. I, you know, it's, for me, it's important to get that, Content out there, and message, and so I really didn't care if we made money off that or not. I'm like, look, this is important to me. It's something that you know I love to ski. This is the messaging is there, you know, and it, and it was a learning experience too because it was the first documentary we made. But I didn't, you know, we could. Fortunately, we're in a position, cash flow wise, to make that investment. Uh, but most, I would say, most content investments we make, we Make sure it passes the make money test. <laughs> we say <laughs> we know we know we're going to be able to to put ads against this on Facebook to drive more subscribers. Uh, we know the content's going to be shared. It's going to be really good and, uh, and provide value to our existing subscribers. Or it's you know we're sometimes we we're willing to gamble on because we do a lot of video ads and right now I you know I challenge my own team and we. We hired a few outside production folks to come up with a really, you know, funny viral campaign for our our gear uh, the Crate Club. And I said, just get go crazy with it, you know. But I but I do everything I do. Um, ben and I really make sure that we're confident that we're able to monetize it in, in some form, and in our first. Reference is is you know our own audience. You know, are we going to be able to to make money off off our existing audience? Because you know you know very well that advertising is great when you can get it, but you you can be with a massive. Yeah, you can be with a massive. For instance, a big lesson that I learned: we started breaking news with our news site. You know, first couple years we're in, we landed this massive. Sponsor called. It was a military credit union, USAA, massive in the U.S. We had a seven-figure ad campaign, video display, and we broke the story of we've been sitting on a piece around this Navy SEAL that was was out of the military but going to come out publicly with, um, you know, Chris was now Kristen Beck. Uh, so it was the first really openly transgender feel, And so we broke that story and, and we helped CNN do a documentary on it, but the story broke and that advertiser, I don't know if it was the internal team or the agency, but they pulled all their ads for a week. They got scared, stopped everything. Wow. And it scared the hell out of me because at the time we were, you know, relatively small business and, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And we were kind of getting that the agency was saying, well, you know, it's because of this content, it's too edgy. And I'm like, this is news, but it's, you know, it's a very conservative credit union from a management perspective. And I said, you know what, this is, I don't want this to happen to us again. And so we, that really nudged us into the paid subscription model to not let advertisers, Put pressure on us to do certain kinds of content. It also taught me the volatility of and fick- how fickle that world can be, right? Unless you have a really strong relationship with the brand directly, you could have some, you know, some person at a digital agency, and, and a lot of the agencies, the digital teams are young and inexperienced because the, the senior executives at the advertising agencies are print and television that's where where they come from and they don't understand you know what a cac to ltv ratio is or click through Mm. rate (laughs) so and so you know it was i just got away i'm like i look i love advertising revenue it's gravy but i'm not going to be you know our media company was not going to be folk relying on ad revenue it's just too fickle
0: Mm, i think that's smart just switching gears uh, just talking um about total focus and and something you mentioned that I have notes for as well which I think I think would be valuable to our audience is you talked about short to mid to long term goals how far out in advance do you do you plan your long terms and can you walk us through what a typical you know year looks like are you going kind of scaling up with the uh, painted picture. like I'm just really curious, like with your goal setting, let's say it's January 2018, what, how are you going to plan it?
1: So every November I go away for, you know, three, four days and I plan out my year and I set specific and actionable goals. So I set very specific goals under three categories, what I want to accomplish with business, my personal kind of self-development and then family. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put visit grandparents right? my grandparents on my father's side are from Canada. So they're in their nineties. and I, Last year it was important that I get out there and see them. So I, I put visit grandparents, buy tickets by February 1st. And so that produces like a very clear, you know, actionable goal. And so I have these, you know, business, personal family, and I write everything underneath there that I want to accomplish. And then I put something specific that can be measurable, like it's an actionable item. Like this year, I had on my list on personalized, I'm a pilot. I love to fly planes. It's a passion of mine. I wanted to either get my multi engine rating or my float plane rating. And, And so I put, you know, multi engine float plane. Um, book training by this date uh, and so when that date rolled around I'm like oh shit. <laughs> I've got I've got to do something here so I ended up re- doing research and f- I decided to get my float plane rating in Lake Como Italy so on September 4th I, I start a week-long class to get to get trained on that so I you know, so listing all the goals down but you know overall I would say my business you know, I have my long-term business goals, which I, I put five years out. I don't like, you know, I think five years for me is enough to, you know, things are, things are always going to change and you're going to have to adapt your goals. But, you know, five-year, five-year plan is kind of my, my stretch plan. Uh, but every year I plan, you know, what's the next year ahead look like? And there's very specific financial goals, like revenue numbers that we want to hit how are you know, how are we going to hit them? What new initiatives are we going to put in place? So once you have that goal, you know, your yearly plan, as like I said, about focus and, and distractions, once you have that in place, it's very easy to see if something, a new opportunity comes and you can just tell right away, okay, this is complimentary or it's a distraction. It's a distraction, I decline the opportunity and I carry on with the plan. And so that's that's just what I do personally. I also my team comes together in you know October, November, and, and I have a strategy session, and they have homework uh, beforehand, and we show up and we create. You know, I I, I come up with the, the general, hey, this is where we're going in 2018, but they are participating and developing their their portion of it, and I feel like that's important to involve team and get buy-in because to be honest that e-commerce product it was not my idea i wish it was it was one of our team members they said why don't we do a subscription box our audience is asking us all these all this advice on equipment and gear and because we have all these special ops guys let's do a box and we were like everybody said ah yeah let's do one <laughs> so we did and so i think it's important to get input from the team that way because you know as a founder and a business leader you know i think that's something we have to do right we can't come up with all the good ideas but we can see one and go okay that's a good one like i'm going to take that and execute against it but you know that that's how i run my process and you know and and even on the personal stuff i i have you know my like i said my know my number there's things that i want to do like i'm saving up to buy a beachfront property in the caribbean right now because that's important to me to have a place that my friends and family can visit and travel quickly from new york uh without a passport and, you know 15 minutes off the plane be swimming in the ocean like that to me is, is something that i i thought long about and what i want in my life so anyway i hope hopefully i answered your question
0: yeah 100 percent um Last question with the offshore. So you do the offshore strategy for two thousand eighteen with your team in November, not in January.
1: I do it actually this year. It's going to be in October. Um, oh wow! I want to be. It's just kind of the way our business cycles too. Like January is a pretty slow. The holidays for us with the with the the sales that we get on social media. It's so it's so hectic that this year we decided to push it before the main holiday period so we we could just be ready to rock uh, but yeah we do it we do it um you know october november because come january we're we're rocking and rolling for for that year
0: mm, that makes sense Awesome. Well, look, dude, this was a really, really great conversation. I really appreciate your time, Brandon. Um, so where's the best place uh, people can go to find out more about your work and also grab a copy of Total Focus?
1: Sure. So the book, just my author website, com, and the you know the buy links are up there. On Amazon. They can go to Amazon as well, but everything is on my author page and all my social media. Um, my Instagram, Twitter is just at Brandon T. Web, I mean, all, all that's on the website. And then, you know, the business page is hurricane.media. And that's the .media is, is like
0: a .com extension. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Brandon. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview